are going to be continuing in our series on making the Christian life work. We are in part three. We are going to be looking at faith, again, this time from a practical standpoint. Um, Previously, we looked at how biblical grace is not just a quote-unquote warm hug from God, or even simply referencing the fact that he forgives our sins. Yes, that is part of it, but that is not the entirety of grace. Grace is God's power to do it. God working in you what you can't do for yourself. God working on your behalf. And then next, we considered faith. Faith is you trusting in God to keep his word. You rely on him because he is and he cannot lie. He is trustworthy. Faith is the sole condition of your salvation and receiving the promises, not just salvation, but the promises that you are made a partaker of because you are saved. And so today we're going to be talking some more about faith, again, from a practical perspective. So let's talk about Abraham. Abraham is an example in the scriptures of what faith looks like. In fact, believers are said to be children of Abraham and fellow heirs of the promise given to him. If we look at Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, we read, Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer, or faithful Abraham, depending on which translation you use. That's Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. So we who are Gentiles, that is, non-Jews, are referenced in that statement, all nations, where he said, all the nations will be blessed in you. Um, comes from the Greek word ethnos, uh, which is where we get the term ethnic, like ethnic groups. You can think also in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verses 19, where it says, go ye into all nations. It's the same thing, ethnos, go to all ethnic groups, right? Or I believe in Matthew 24, it says, you know, nations shall, you know, make war against nation. It's pretty much what it's saying, nations, ethnoc, ethnos, sorry, ethnos, ethnic groups, you know, is kind of the general sense there is what is meant. Now, when we take a look at Abraham, we can learn some things about faith. He is constantly held up as an example of faith to us as believers. You consider that Abraham was called, and when he was called, he obeyed the call. Abraham was promised something, and when he was promised, he believed the promise. Abraham was tested. He persevered in faith and obeyed when tested. And then Abraham received the promise. Now, let's look at some texts about this. We can read some things about Abraham. You can turn to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. We read, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go forth from your country, and from your relatives, and from your father's house, to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. 
Now, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. If you turn next to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 12, we're going to be, this is a passage from the New Testament, looking back at Abraham's life and what was accomplished. And that's Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 12. We read, By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even of one man, and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. That's Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 12. So in res- going through this, we see that in response to God's call, God called to Abraham, Abraham obeyed. And we're even told it was by faith that he obeyed. We're even actually told in this passage that his wife Sarah believed also and received ability for the promise to be fulfilled in her. So when she believed the promise, God worked in her the ability for the promise to be fulfilled in her. And so the promise was for Abraham to have many descendants who would bless the world. This is ultimately mainly referring to Christ, the seed through whom the entire world would be blessed, right? But for them to have descendants, they would have to have children in their old age. Now, Isaac was the fulfillment of that promise. Um, next, next, let's consider the passage in Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, where we read, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me, since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then, behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Now listen to this. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. So Abraham was, you know, it's like the Lord is promising him an inheritance and these wonderful things. But Abraham is like, well, Lord, I don't have anybody to give this to. What does it matter? I'm going to be giving it to somebody who isn't even my son. It's just one of my servants, right? The steward of his house. And then the Lord comes back and says, no, I'm going to give you a son, right? And so he goes out, says, look at the stars. And if you can count them, that's the number of seed that you're going to have, the number of descendants that you're going to have. And it says that Genesis 15, 6, which is quoted in the New Testament several times, it says, then Abram believed the Lord and he, that is the Lord, counted or reckoned it to him, Abraham, as righteousness. Abram, or Abraham, was given a promise from God, and he believed 
the promise. Um, you can actually look at this in uh, Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19. Next aspect of this is testing. Um, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19, we read, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type or a picture. And so we'll read that passage in just a second, but pretty much what it is saying is Abraham's faith was tested by what God told him to do. And so we can read back, if you turn back to Genesis chapter 22, we will read uh, first verses 1 through 5 in Genesis 22 where it says, Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham. So at this time, Isaac is already, he's, he's grown up, he's not a child. You know, and most I think most scholars actually believe he's between the ages of thirty to forty years old. He's an adult. I can't remember exactly the age, but he's an adult. He's not a fourteen-year-old or six-year-old boy, because Abraham is—he's over a hundred years old at this time too. And so, Isaac is already a conscious adult, and so then Abraham's belief is tested. Where we read, after it came about, after these things, that is after God fulfilled His promise to give Isaac to Abraham, right? And says that God tested Abraham. And said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. And before we move on, consider this. Abraham knows he's about to go up and sacrifice his son. And he gets everything ready. And this is the son through whom he has been told that his descendants will come from. And he has been told by the Lord to go and sacrifice his son, his only son, the son of promise. Ishmael was not the child of promise. He was a child of the flesh. And so he is not an inheritor of the covenant, the promise that was given to Abraham. And so I, Abraham is being told here to go and end the life of his only son at this point, right? And then whenever he gets to the place where he's about to go up this mountain in Moriah, and he's about to go sacrifice him, he tells his servants that they're both coming back. He says, I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. And so this is what is referenced in Hebrews, where it said he considered God as able to raise people even from the dead. So Abraham has been told that through Isaac his descendants would come. And God has also told him, here, go and sacrifice him, right? And so Abraham sees no contradiction. But where he thinks there is a contradiction, he still believes God. He says, well, I'm still going to do what God says but I'm going to leave the results to God, and I trust that God is going to make this work out. So even if the Lord has to raise up Isaac from the dead after I sacrifice him, God will fulfill his promise. And so this is where Abraham is such a stark example of faith. Even whenever these things were going on, it's recorded that he didn't question God's going to fulfill his promise. And so let's finish 
Go down to the uh, Genesis chapter 22, verses 10 through 18. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide, as it is to this day, as it is said to this day. In the mount of the Lord it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens, and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice." Now in this, we see that Abraham was tested. His belief in God's promise, in the whether or not God would keep his promise, was tested. And Abraham was intentionally put in a position by God to test whether or not he truly trusted him, whether or not he would continue to believe God's promise. So the very thing that was promised to him, Isaac, you know, descendants, was being quite literally placed on the altar as though God were asking him to give it up. And the amazing thing is that Abraham believed God even in the face of apparent contradiction. You know, how could you have descendants if God tells you to go kill your only descendant, right? So let's look at that again in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19, where it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. And so he had received the promise, His this child, this person in whom his descendants would all come, Isaac, right? He had received it. And it was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. And he considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a picture. So one of the seals of Abraham's faith was that it didn't matter what it looked like. Abraham continued to believe that God would do exactly as he said. He didn't need to understand how. He didn't need to understand why. He didn't need to question and stop and be like, well, I can't obey God until he gives me understanding. He was not going to stop obeying God. And also, he was not going to stop believing God regardless of what it looked like. And of course, God worked everything out. Next, look at Romans chapter 4. And we'll start in verse 18 through 21. Romans chapter 4, verse 18 through 21, we read, In hope against hope, is it talking about Abraham, he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured 
that what God had promised he was able also to perform. So even though everything looked contrary to him receiving a descendant, Abraham believed God, and God gave him a descendant. Even though everything looked contrary to him having descendants, even though he was going to sacrifice Isaac, God still gave him descendants through Isaac. And so God promised Abraham a son. Abraham believed the promise and received Isaac. This is kind of walking through kind of the situation. God promises that Isaac, Abraham's descendants, um, God promises that through Isaac, Abraham's descendants will be reckoned. And God tells Abraham to go sacrifice Isaac as a burnt offering. And so Abraham believes the only logically consistent thing. God made a promise. God cannot lie. God must be going to raise Isaac from the dead after a sacrifice him in order to keep his word. It's perfectly logically consistent if you believe that God is faithful. Right? And so Abraham did not question whether or not God was faithful. And that is why he was able to believe that. And that's why he was able to unwaver. He believed that what God had promised he was able also to perform. And not also able, but willing to perform. Consider uh, Genesis 22.5, where it says, Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. He knew he was coming back with his son. Hebrews 11.19, He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type or a picture. This is, I mean, this is consistent biblical faith. Romans 4, 20-21, Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. And so Abraham believed the promise. I know I'm kind of hitting the same thing over and over again, but this is, this is really important to your daily Christian life. Abraham believed the promise. He reckoned it as true and continued to believe when everything appeared to contradict the promise. And this is very important for you to understand. God will intentionally test our faith and the status of our hearts sometimes. He will, because he wants to see whether or not you will believe him. The testing of your faith makes you grow. It's like people trying to say, oh yeah, I want to get stronger, but I don't want to lift weights. Lifting weights, I don't care what anybody says. Going to the gym and exercising, it's miserable. You get sore, it's painful, it's ridiculous. But if you want to grow stronger, it is what you're going to do, right? And so if you want to grow strong in faith, you're going to have to learn to endure testing. Um, consider in Second Chronicles chapter 32, verse 31, where it's talking about Hezekiah, who was a righteous king. It says, however, regarding the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon, whom they sent him to him to inquire about the wonder that was done in the land, God withdrew from him in order to test him, that he might know all that was in his heart. So the situation in this, in this passage was Hezekiah had gotten sick and he was literally told by God, he's like, yes, put your house in order, you're going to die. And it wasn't a punishment thing, it was just, well, it's like your time to die. And God sent the prophet Isaiah to tell the, tell the king Hezekiah this, right? And Hezekiah wept before the Lord and pleaded with the Lord to extend his life. 
right? I mean, you consider this. The prophet Isaiah comes and tells you that God said you're going to die, get your house in order. And Hezekiah asks the Lord to pretty much change his mind in a sense, though it's not exactly that. And the Lord does. The Lord heals Isaiah and says, I'm going to add to your life, I believe it was 15 years. And you consider that. And so the princes of a far-off nation named Babylon, who was not ruling the world at this time, sent to inquire about the fact that Isaiah, that Hezekiah was healed. And it says in this situation, God withdrew from him. Not positionally, it didn't mean that he became a lost man or anything, it's just God withdrew that presence that was, you know, in, in that presence in his almost like daily life kind of thing from him. And it says it was in order to test him, that he might know all that was in his heart. And so testing, it has to do with your heart, where you're going to choose to go, what direction you're going to choose to go whenever it doesn't feel right, whenever you don't feel the joy of the Lord, when you don't feel the presence of the Lord. What are you going to do when circumstances are contrary, whenever it's frustrating, whenever you're getting hit by things of temporal life? Are you going to believe God? Are you going to stand with God? Are you going to choose to obey God even when you don't feel like it? Or whatever experience seems to dictate contrary. This is what testing is about. If you want to grow, then you need to choose to believe God's word and stand in faith on God's word. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. I see, this is what it's all about. Too many times we begin to think about things whenever we should just make a decision. But no, God said it. This is what I'm going to do. And whenever you stop to be like, well, let me think about this. All you're doing is entertaining the voice of the enemy, the flesh, the world, the devil, whichever one you that may be. And nothing good will ever come from that. When you know what is God's will, you need to simply choose to do it. And any time that we begin to linger, we begin to hesitate. All that's going to happen is you're going to be giving yourself opportunity, in a sense, to disobey God. Whenever, if you know that you believe God, when you know that you want to follow God, whenever you are tested about whether or not this is, you know, God says do this, whenever the Lord has a promise, right, and you're being tempted about whether or not you're going to believe the promise, right, that is going to happen a lot in praying for something, right? whenever you know it's God's will because God's word declares that it is his will, right? And you're like, Lord, I'm not seeing this manifest in my life. Well, sometimes there is a gap there because, one, God's working out things that you can't see. I have met testimonies of that myself, things that took a long time. But once the desire came, the Lord showed he was faithful, and he was working that out the entire time. And so God had already put in motion to answer whenever I began to pray about it. But I didn't see it. God was testing me to see whether or not I would continue to believe him. And it's the same thing regarding promises regarding whether to overcome sin, right? To receive every promise from the Lord, your faith is going to be tested. And you have to choose between believing and standing on God's word in a practical way daily in your choices or giving in to experience feelings in the voice of the enemy. Um, Proverbs 17.3 the refining pot is for silver, and the furnace for gold, that is to purify them. It says, but the Lord tests hearts. The Lord is going to test your heart. He's going to allow you to be tested. First Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. 
In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The proving of your faith, your commitment to God, it is much more precious than gold. And it will be tested. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Christ was talking to one of the churches, and he says, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison, so that you will be tested. And you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Revelation 2.10 He tells them, No, some of you are going to be put to death. You're going to suffer. He says, be faithful. This is testing. And see, this is the kind of attitude we need to have in ourselves. Our eyes need to be fixed on God. He is faithful. He is, and he cannot lie. His word is his, and therefore it cannot lie. I believe his word. And you will need to, whenever everything is pulling against you, people, situations, circumstances, feelings, experiences, you're like, no, this is the hill that I'm going to die on. I'm going to place all my eggs in one basket. I'm not going to hedge my bets. This is exactly what I'm going to stand on. And it says, those who wait upon the Lord will not be ashamed. So it is your belief in God's promises, his word, that is being tested. God has given promises to us. Are we going to believe them? It's very easy to think sometimes, well, so maybe I don't partake or enjoy all the promises that God has made provision for in life. I'm fine with just getting to heaven. Well, we need to think about this. The gospel itself is a promise. This is the same kind of faith. And if you can't stand on any promise, and you don't want to learn about that, know that I'm sorry, your salvation is going to be tested in a way that you will probably not be able to endure. God promises those who believe on my Son will have everlasting or eternal life. We believe and reckon it so. And we are saved. Everything else, literally everything else, is our belief and commitment to the gospel promise being tested. And so it really comes down to, are we going to please self or God? Are we going to believe feelings or experiences or the word of God? Are we going to yield to flesh, which is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be, Romans 8? Or are we going to yield to spirit, which is God's leading in you? Consider this passage in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2-4. through 4. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and and godliness, through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by or through lust. Second Peter 1 verses 2 through 4. God has given us promises, and there are things that have already been granted to us that pertain to life and godliness. 
Two more passages. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Right? Every spiritual blessing has already been given to those who are Christians in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For as many as are the promises of God in him, they are, yes. Therefore also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. That's the rendering of the New American Standard Bible. It says all the promises of God in him are yes. So in Christ, a believer is in Christ. When we're talking about position and and position in a little bit, in a couple different, maybe another session, a couple after this one. And so every promise of God is yes. It is a predecided yes on God's part. Why? Because Christ purchased everything for salvation. You're not earning it. Your condition is faith. So let's move on real quick to talk about faith and works. Because there's a lot of confusion in a lot of people's minds, but it's actually very simple. Um, turn to James chapter 2, verses 19 through 26. We read, You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works? when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar. You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, Was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. James chapter 2, verses 19 through 26. So what's going on here? It says that Abraham was justified by works whenever he offered up Isaac on the altar. But it just says in another place, In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, where it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. So what's going on here? One says that that it was works that happened. One says it's faith that happens, right? Well, by comparing these two passages, we can see something very interesting. The testing of our faith is related to our works. In James 2.21, we see it say that Abraham was justified in the sight of God. Remember, justified is the fancy theological term usually for your sins have been forgiven. You're reconciled to God. The the way that people usually remember is just if I'd never sinned. Past sins forgiven, right? So Abraham was justified in the sight of God when he offered up his son Isaac, right? Right? But in Hebrews eleven seventeen, we see it say that by faith, Abraham offered up his son, Isaac, right? So God promised Abraham a son and descendants through that son, Isaac. Abraham believed the promise. God gave the son. 
God then tested Abraham's belief in that promise of descendants through Isaac. So he tested him by telling him to go sacrifice his son. Abraham believed and did that action that God commanded while trusting God with the outcome. I'm going to repeat that. Abraham believed and did that action that God commanded while trusting God with the outcome. If it's God's promise, it is God's action to perform. Your part is to be faithful. God commanded an action. Abraham did the action, and God fulfilled the promise. The action that Abraham did in response to God's command when he was testing Abraham's faith in the promise was by faith. Abraham did this by faith. He did this work by faith. He believed God's word and did what God said. There is no contradiction between this passage and what there's no contradiction between James and Paul like some people think. It's just showing that they don't understand those passages really. Um, consider James chapter 2, verse 22. You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected or completed. It was brought to maturity, right? Faith was working with his works. These were works that were done because of faith, right? Now, this passage in James chapter 2 is greatly argued about for, I believe, reasons that have to deal with people's doctrinal biases. A lot of people just don't want to believe that God expects them to actually obey him. And I'm sorry to say, but by experience, that's just what most people don't want to believe. But Paul is not contrasting, I'm sorry, not Paul, um, in James chapter uh, 2, it's James. James is not contrasting faith and works. He is contrasting a faith that has no works and a faith that works. I'm going to repeat that. James is not contrasting faith and works as two opposing means to be justified in the sight of God. That's not what he's doing. He is contrasting or comparing a type of faith or belief that has no works, that does not obey, that does nothing, and a faith or belief that does something. Um, Greek scholar Daniel Wallace agrees um, in his work, Greek Grammar Beyond the Basics, which is like a staple in the biblical Greek community. He says on page 219, in particular, the author examines two kinds of faith in chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, defining a non-working faith as a non-saving faith and a productive faith as one that saves. Both James and Paul would agree, I believe, with the statement, faith alone saves, but the faith that saves is not alone. That's Greek Grammar Beyond the Basics, page 219. And so in regards to a non-working faith, that is, people say, oh yeah, I believe God, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but they do nothing with the things that God has told them to do. The cheap grace, easy believism type stuff. That is a non-working faith. That doesn't save anyone. In regards to a non-working faith, James says, can that faith save him? Now, in the King James Version or New King James Version, there's a bad translation of this verse. And I'll just say that it is a bad translation. The words that, right? Can that faith save him? Or such, 
or that kind of, should be used to clarify this difference. And so it should say, can such a faith or can that kind of faith save him? So James is saying that there's two kinds of faith that are being professed by people. There's two types of faith contrasts. James is saying that saving faith, or the faith that justifies, it produces works. Faith was working, James chapter 2, 22. This saving faith was doing something. The verb underlying was working has the sense of cooperating, right? The force or motivation behind Abraham's works was faith. By faith, he did. And so where it's been stated that faith was the spring from which his works flowed. He believed God and therefore obeyed. He left the results to God. There's a very big difference between somebody trying to say, well, I obey God because I need to prove that I believe him, or I obey God because I need God to be happy with me. I obeyed God because I need God to answer my prayers, or I obeyed God because I need him to forgive my sins. No, it's I obey God because I believe the gospel. A believer is somebody who believes the gospel. And we'll talk about more. I don't want to get too much off on a tangent. We're going to talk about some of that later in a different session, uh, lesson through this series. So faith was the spring from which his works flowed. So it is just as true to say that he was justified by works and justified by faith, right? Because they're both coming from the exact same thing. Abraham believed God and he did what God said. And him doing the action proved that he really did believe God. And it's interesting to take note of verse 23 in James chapter uh, 2. Or we'll read James chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. Or we read, you see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned or counted to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. That's Genesis fifteen six. It's yet again referenced. Abraham believed God, and God reckoned his faith as righteousness. Not his works, but his faith. And this is interesting to take note of when you consider what we talked about previously, that we are to reckon God's word as true, right? In essence, when we reckon God's word as true, God reckons us as righteous in response. And so we see in this in Romans 4 explicitly stated, in Romans 4, the works that are being discussed are self-righteous works of the law of Moses and not works that stem from faith, right? Kind of like we talked about, there's a different place that works that are done in order to prove that you're righteous comes from. That's the works of the law, the Old Testament, right? People say anything that—it's like almost like people think that anywhere the word works is used, it's referring to works of self-righteousness or of the law. That's, that's just not right. That's just not truly what the New Testament— language is used. It's not. That's just bad biblical interpretation because they don't know what they're talking about. But in Romans chapter 4, starting verse 18, we read, In hope against hope he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, 
he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Therefore, anytime you see the word therefore, you have to ask yourself, what is this therefore? It's like a summary statement. Given what was said before, therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness, or reckoned to him as righteousness. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also. He's like, so it, yes, this is what happened when Abraham believed God, he was reckoned as righteous. It says that that's not just for his sake that it was written down or that it happened. It says, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited. What will be credited? Righteousness. To whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. It's the same kind of process. Abraham was called, he obeyed. Abraham was promised, he believed. Abraham was tested, he persevered in faith and obeyed, regardless of the situation and circumstances, and he received the promise and was reckoned as righteous. We have been called by the gospel, and if you're a believer, you've obeyed that call. We have been given promises. We need to believe God about them. We will be tested, and we need to persevere in faith and obey, regardless of what everything looks like. You do what God said, believe his promise, and leave the outcome with God. And we can receive the promise and be reckoned as righteous also. And we'll talk a little bit more specifically about that um, here in a couple different less lessons here in a couple, maybe a week or two. And we need to ignore the seeming contradictory experiences and feelings and circumstances of this life and world and simply do what God has commanded because we believe his promises. In response to your belief and your putting action to his accompanying commandments, God will give grace to enable the promise to be fulfilled. When you believe God and you count it as true, Remember Sarah, she received the ability for the promise to be fulfilled in her when she believed the promise. Um, and Hebrews 11, 11, by faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. So believe the promises, reckon them as true, persevere in believing when things seem contrary. Simply do the action that he commands. Don't hesitate. You know it's what God says. You understand it appropriately within the context of Scripture. You're not taking things out of context, right? And God will fulfill the promises. I want to end with a good quote from Amy Carmichael. She said, If you would live in victory over the circumstances, great and small, that come to you each day, and if you want God's life and power to well up from the depths of your being, then you must refuse to be dominated by the seen and felt. Thank you for listening to Remnant Bible Fellowship. We do hope and pray that you would commit your life to Christ and continue in Him. We desire to see people seeking Jesus Christ and coming to know Him personally. If you have questions about salvation, the Bible, or your own walk with Christ, 
please contact Brother Jonathan by email. Brother John, that's J-O-N, at remnantbiblefellowship.com. That's Brother John at remnantbiblefellowship.com.